from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Current Night Show. Inviting you to join Nolan and his guest this week, Nick Coit, to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of the show. If you enjoyed last week's amazing episode, do us a favor, subscribe, comment, share all that fun jazz, follow on social media, follow updates and news regarding the episode. But nevertheless, we have an equally, if not greater guest on this week with me today. I'm so grateful and appreciative, which I'm sure I'll mention endlessly again. But the episode, nevertheless, um, it is a great honor and pleasure to have my guest on this week. Although reared by the rock that our founding father sailed to, my guest this week has made a name for himself across the New England area on millions of television screens, calling some of sports' biggest moments, whether it's two decades ago calling play-by-play while circular foamed rubber is being whizzed by his head at the home of the Blue Eagles with Plymouth's own version of Peter LaFleur or White Goodman, or working with legends like Ken Bell and Tim Throckmorton, Nick Coit has etched his name in the record books as one of the gold standards of reporting. It's my pleasure and distinct honor to have multi-time NSMA award winner Nick Coit as our guest this week. Nick, how are you? Nolan, that's the best intro I've ever heard for an interview. Thank you. I should hire you as a hype man. That was awesome. Thank you. Well, <laughs> hey, I, I, I try to do my best to please my lead, so I appreciate that. Um, I, I like to start out this way, and obviously you're, you're not someone I was just waking up from a coma seeing all this now. It's been a while since everything's been sort of back to normal, and uh, as you know, the industry that you're a part of was hit hard by it in terms of in-person stuff, and you're doing a lot of stuff like we're doing now. So for yourself to be out in the full of things, not just at the high school level covering those stories, but professionally, how's it been for you to sort of have some sort of quote-unquote normalcy in your profession again? Refreshing. Refreshing is the word, um, though, you know, y- you go through things in in anything in life, like it, it, it teaches you different ways. It challenges you to, you know, find, you know, different things to talk about, report on, look back at, look forward to. You know, and, and that's that was the challenge of the pandemic. And, um, you know, everybody went through it and it didn't matter what kind of industry you were in, what kind of job you had. Everybody learned how to do this and, yeah. um, you know, reach out to people. And, you know, I, I was I was lucky in in the, you know, in regards to like, you know, doing interviews and whatnot, because, you know, the connections that were built, you know, over the, you know, what was it, six, seven years before that I was at Channel 6. It really helped in that time um, because I reached out and talked to people um, that we had covered, that we had followed, you know, athletes, coaches, whatnot. And basically it just sort of turned into like, okay, what well, what are you doing to get through this? How are, how is this challenging you? And, you know, it turned into some, some great stories to tell, you know, no, you know, no matter how, you know, tough the pandemic was for everybody. Um, you know, you saw people sort of triumph through, you know, that time. And, you know, now that we're back to normalcy, it, it makes you appreciate the normalcy and it, and it makes it refreshing now being able to cover sports, you know, normally nobody's wearing a mask. It doesn't, it's, it looks like the, the world before the pandemic. And that's, that's a really, uh, really, like I said, refreshing is the word. It's a refreshing thing. Now, hopefully this is, this time has all given us an opportunity to think about ourselves and learn, have learned things about oneself that we didn't know prior. So for Nick, what did he learn about himself over the last three years that didn't know prior? Uh, Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Maybe just uh, <laughs> it reminded me to uh, you know to be resourceful when you can um, because that 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 sort of switch flipped again because you're like okay you're in the middle of a pandemic 
and everything shuts down. There's no games. It's April, 2020. And you're like, what the heck do I talk about? And so, and what the heck do I do to fill a sports cast and how do I do it so that I'm keeping myself safe? And, you know, it, it was amazing to me, the fact that, you know, we figured out a way where I could do a sports cast and I didn't need a big camera or a studio. Sure. I did it with this thing right here. The sports yeah. cast was going right through the phone. It was wild to me that we could do that every night and connect at home and all those things that we did. And so it it made me a little bit more resourceful again. And yeah. I, I think that 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 really helps. As you get older, you want those those you know skills to be sharpened a little bit and um you know, I, th I think that's definitely what it did in terms of, you know, challenging me. And, you know, uh, that, yeah, I look back at it now and I'm like, gosh, I can't believe we did it that way. But sure. we did. Got through yeah. it. As Barry Manilow said, looks like we, we made it. Although sometimes some people can't always share that sentiment, especially the last few years, knowing sure. that and going back as, as far back as we can, as much as you want to, I know that sports has always been a big thing for you, not not in terms of, you know, broadcasting and that sort of stuff, but athletically as well, playing all the way through college with, with baseball. I mean, grant, growing up in Massachusetts, one of the meccas of sports besides Los Angeles and um, New York, and it may be fun to consider Florida, you, you had experience besides that, but also there was a certain game at, at your school that you covered that was ran by a, a group called Students Fostering Hope, and that was sort of your first foray in, into sports. But coupled with growing up in Massachusetts and what that provides sports-wise, with that moment covering sports, what was it like for you finding your early passion with, with sports broadcasting and media? Yeah, so, um, you know, the story that you're referring to is when the light bulb kind of went off. But, um, you know, even before that, you know, I grew up, Plymouth, Mass is a baseball town. And, and at the time I was growing up, the Red Sox were still cursed by the Bambino. It was still a thing. The Red Sox were king in this area. Tom Brady hadn't come along yet. And so, you know, baseball was the thing. And so, you know, I grew up playing it, grew up, you know, falling in love with it. I grew up playing golf. Um, you know, so sports, I think, were sort of something that I, I learned that I liked at a young age. But I also learned that I wasn't, I love, I liked them. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I was okay. Yeah. Um, but they gave me a uniform because I like to play and I had a couple of good seasons, but nothing, nothing earth shattering. Sure. Good seasons as in, wow, you did great in Babe Ruth. Um, you know, but I found where I really excelled was um, being in front of people and communicating and performing. And I found a knack for that when I was in middle school. Uh, I, I auditioned for uh, the school musical and they were doing guys and dolls and I auditioned and somehow, some way I landed one of the lead roles. And from there, I, it just came out of my shell. You know, when I, when I came home and told my mom, I got the, you know, the lead in the, in the school musical, she's like, wait, are you my child? Cause she was <laughs> like, you, you, you weren't, you know, I was very guarded. I, I wasn't out of my shell yet. And that sort of helped me come out of my shell. And I realized, man, I'm, I, I'm pretty good at this performance thing. And so I did that and I did drama club and theater going through high school. Um, but that, that moment in high school that you're referring to was um, the movie dodgeball had come out. This yeah. was 2004. Um, so my junior year of high school was like 2005, I believe. And so it was right after still very popular. Um, and so this organization at my high school decided, Hey, we're going to have a charity dodgeball tournament. Cause it's, 
a hot thing right now. And they came to me and another buddy of mine that was in drama club and said, Hey, we'd love for you guys to be the guys from ESPN eight, the Ocho. And we're like, this is, this sounds like real, like, like a lot of fun. So they gave us a couple of microphones and <laughs> we had a blast or inter- doing post game interviews, whatnot. And, um, you know, we're having fun with it, but we're also like, this is, you know, sort of for real. And, uh, the next day in school, I had three teachers come up to me separate times during the day. And they told me like, Hey, you were really good at that. Yeah. You should actually look into doing something like that. And that's when the light bulb went off. It's like, how can I combine sports and, you know, communicating and being in yeah. front of people. And that was it, a high school charity dodgeball tournament. And from there I, I pursued it. Mentioning Emerson, where you went to school, it, to my knowledge or mindset, it's one of the Mount Rushmore's of film and media in terms of colleges across the country. ASU, Walter Cronkite School is another one. Northwestern, of course, with Medill. Being part of a school like Emerson at that point, whether you fully recognized it or not, looking back on it versus then, how much did you realize that, that maybe that type of school had an impact on your progression through early on in your career, but also the quality of workmanship that you want to provide early on? Yeah, it it's um it was tremendous. Uh and I think I I think it hit me with some of the classes and professors that I was ha- you know, uh, fortunate to have and learn from. Um, I, I think the the time when it when I really hit me that, oh wow, okay they're really preparing us well, was when I walked into some of my internships. Um, that's when, you know, particularly when I, I I did an internship at Boston 25 in TV news station. And I I walked in there and some of the things that I knew, the lingo, the way things are built with a sports cast and how it's presented on TV, like all of those things I had already learned in class and it sort of been, you know, drilled into my head and I walked in there and they, when they realized I knew it, and then there were other interns that didn't sort of hadn't gotten there yet. It was like, Oh boy, wow. They really have prepared us well for this. Like I could walk in and it's, it's half the reason how I, you know, was able to impress them enough where I broke into the business, you know, because that's the first place I worked right out of school. So, you know, that, I think that's when it really hit me. Um, and I was, I was really fortunate. I can't say enough good things about the school, not only with the journalism program, like you said, like media, uh, film, you know, television production, all of those things, theater, like it is an art school and it is a a great place to go and to be in the middle of Boston. Um, you know, particularly if you're pursuing sports journalism, you're right in the heart of it, you know, you intern there, you can, I mean, when I was interning, the Celtics still had Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen in their locker room, like, you know, getting to cover them and, you know, the Red Sox and the Patriots and all of that. Like, it, it was it was tremendous to be able to do that and then step right into the field and say, well, I've already I've already had that experience. Yeah. Emerson really provided that for me and and prepared me well so that I when I stepped in day one, I said, I, I think I I think I know yeah. what I'm doing and it and it helped right away. The people in your field that I've had the chance and high privilege to interview, um, maybe have had the mindset of wanting to do as su- mo- most successful job they can early on from the beginning and be that big uh, person from the camera like yourself or a sports director or the case may be at some point in their career. But like anything else, you got to start from the bottom up and work your way up. So for you, working behind the scenes in Boston right after college, how much of an ego Booster or non-booster was that? And were you ready to start at that position rather than being on camera right away? Um, I think it was humbling. Um, and it and it really, I think, set me up 
those, you know, eight or nine months, it set me up for where it was going to go. Um, because I, again, learned all of the things that it takes behind the scenes to, you know, put a successful sportscast, successful broadcast on and just how much it it's ever changing and ever granted. And it's, you know, it's, it's wild. Some of the things that you see behind the scenes when you, when you're, when you're learning, it's like being a bat boy in the big leagues. Like you're seeing all of these professionals and how it's done. And you're just a small part in, in helping with that. And you're getting taking on a little bit more and a little bit more. And um, yeah, so to, to, to be able to, you know, sort of get my feet wet there was great. I had great mentors. Um, You know, Mark Ockerbloom is still there, you know, nighttime news anchor there. And he was tremendous to me. Um, help me with, you know, some of the mistakes I would make or some of the writing or whatever, and just point it out and say, Hey, here's what you can do better next time. Um, you know, same with a guy like Adam Pellerin, who's now at Nesson. Um, Adam was a news reporter at the time at 25 and he actually would anchor sports on the weekends. And, you know, he, there would be just me producing on Saturday nights and, and I would just produce it for him because he would be doing the whole newscast too. But there was probably about a time like, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night where he would, you know, call up to the sports office and he'd say, hey, you know, I just want to read scripts. Here's what's going on. You know, here's what I'm going to write. Here's how I would do it differently. What'd you forget here? What should you include here? All of that. And it was such a huge help to me because it it helped me sort of find my voice sure. and, and write better and, and produce better. And so once I got on camera, and was doing it for myself, it was like, all right, well, I know how to do all the rest. Now I just got to get in front of the screen, you know, look pretty and, and read the teleprompter, you know, and that being able to have that confidence when I took my first on-air job um, was really, I think it vaulted me to, you know, success. Now, you know, I'm sure you found comfort working at that place and that job as, as your first big time gig. But nothing lasts forever, of course, and you suddenly moved on to another place. And I'm curious, your decision on to go to, of all places, Bangor, Maine, one of the more coldest places in this part of, of, of the country. How did you come to grips with that? And how did you prepare yourself for a drastic move from Boston all the way up to Bangor, Maine? Well, you get used to the cold. You do. You, you get thick skinned you know, or get very thick skinned after, you know, experiencing a couple of those winters. And, um, you know, but it, it was, I, I, in some regard, I was really lucky that I was able to go to a small market television station and, you know, do it the traditional way, which, you know, old school television people will tell you the traditional way is go small market and get your mistakes out. And that's basically what I did. And I was fortunate in the fact that I didn't have to leave New England to do that. Because yeah. I have friends that worked in much smaller places than Bangor, Maine, you know, and northern Michigan and, you know, Corpus Christi, Texas is where my partner, you know, Ian Steele started out. Like there are uh, a lot further places away from home and family and friends. For me, it was a five hour drive and yeah. it's a whole different world up there. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't have to leave New England. And so there was still a flavor and a touch of that. But it also gave me the the opportunity to go cover sports I'd never covered before, um, teams and schools I'd never covered before. And it really, the biggest thing that it did, when you go to a small place like that, you learn the value of local sports sure. coverage. It's huge. And, and up there, you're covering the main Black Bears, 
and you're covering high school sports. And then, you know, I, I once covered a croquet tournament in the middle of the summer in Bar Harbor, Maine, like that happens. Um, so those sorts of things, people will watch for that yeah. up there and in smaller places. So you learn the value of, you know, covering local people, meeting people in the community, being out there. Um, and that was, you know, besides getting all the mistakes out on air, which I had plenty of them and I still do, sure. um, you know, that was, that was one of the things that I, I really took away from that. Now, um, I'm curious in that aspect, being in a place like that, that's, I don't want to say super drastic because Massachusetts, Boston can get cold here in the Northeast and New England particularly, but I'm wondering if there was ever a moment during your time in, in Bangor where you're covering something like a croquet tournament where it's testing you if you really want to be in this profession and really say, this is where I want to be. Was there ever a moment that tested you in Bangor or was that just a moment where you're living in the moment and you're appreciative of whatever situation occurs to you? I'm trying to think if there were ever moments where, I mean, probably early on and just sort of learning the routine of, okay, I have to shoot my own video. I've got to shoot my own standups. I've got to do all of these things and make air on time. And I think one of the first times I covered, you know, something, I think my video wasn't the right color or, you know, I didn't have the right sound or something along those lines. And it, and it really taught me, I think it challenged me to just say like, all right, so you screwed up, figure out a way to fix it you know, figure out a way to do it better next time, figure out those sorts of personal challenges. And at the same time, you're, you know, five hours from home, you're in a whole different place. Yeah. You're trying to make friends and meet new people and all that. And, you know, establish your own social life and personal life up there in a different place. I think that was probably the most challenging thing. Um, but, you know, you just keep going and yeah. you just keep trying. And, you know, eventually I figured out, okay, this, these are all the things that I need to do to be successful in a day and a week and a month and a year. Um, and, you know, again, I had a great mentor up there. Tim Throckmorton was a sports director up there for 30 plus years. Um, and he pushed me. He did. There were times when he would tell me if it wasn't, didn't look good, if it wasn't something that he thought was, you know, you know, well enough for air or something like that. Like he would tell me, or if I needed to look better in this shot or frame up this shot differently or this interview, whatever, never afraid to tell me. And I needed that. And it really helped me. And he would tell me when I did a good job too. Sure. And that's always a big thing. So having a great mentor like that, um, you know, really pushed me to, you know, get better and in, in a hurry in two years up there. Well, I wanted to mention that, and it wasn't your first time working with a seasoned veteran in the field, which now you've become the veteran for many in this area, working with someone like Tim, and you sort of mentioned it having a role model and uh, some of that nature of keeping it easy for you. What was that like in terms of, you mentioned being on your own and experiencing all that adversity. How much did that help soothe you into that new world you were by yourself? Yeah, it, it, um, you know, when you go to a small place like that and go to a small television station, I think when I first started feeling at ease was the fact that you know, I would, I was making friends and building relationships with people that were working in the field up there that were my age and in the same spot that I was, which was coming up here to a place I'd never been, never lived at 23, 24 years old. And, you know, having to establish their own lives and establish their careers and get all their mistakes out and whatnot. And I built some of the best friendships and relationships I ever have had in my life up there in two years. Um, I just recently had a, a good friend of mine that I worked with up there 
she and her husband and her you know nine month old baby visited Rhode Island and mm-hmm. and they were here for a weekend and it was fantastic because we've kept in touch all these years because when we were 23, 24, we were just starting out and it and it basically became like we were just going to grad school in a different place, yeah. you know, for, for journalism because we were up there for two years and then, you know, moved on. So, um, and there were a lot of people that did that and, you know, couple that with all the veterans that you would work with, you know, at in these places that are established that are 30 plus years, whatever, into the business that knew all the ins and outs and you get a great environment where people are learning, people are improving, and then they're moving on to bigger and better things. And, you know, the funny thing is, um, you know, as you get older and, you know, add more years in this business, you know, you meet those sorts of people and all of a sudden everybody starts branching out in different places. And so, you know, you ask me a market and I might be able to say, oh yeah, I know that person. She worked with me here. I worked with her there, you know, whatever. Or, oh, I know him. He worked in this place. Now he's in, you know, Myrtle Beach and he was in Tampa. And it's like, it's amazing. It's sure. a big business, but it's a small business. And, you know, I think that really, that put me at ease in the fact that, hey, I'm learning too early on, but also, you know, again, it, it built some of the best, you know, relationships I've ever had in this business too. Now, working with someone like him is, is good enough for some people, but that wasn't the case as you would then eventually move to where you still are today, nearly 10 years later at ABC6. In terms of maybe when you were up working at Bangor, Maine, the goals you set for yourself and things you want to accomplish, how much of that changed when you came to Rhode Island to work at ABC6 as a sports reporter at that time? Yeah, I, I think I had... Um... I had experienced all the challenges that I wanted to in Maine, um, felt that the time was right. Um, and, you know, coming here, you know, I, I felt like I was going to sort of just get the next step of, okay, you know, challenges coming to a bigger place. Um, you know, the great thing was it's an hour from home. So that was really nice to be close to my family again. Um, and I knew I was going to have the opportunity to cover some of these teams that I grew up, you know, rooting for and, you know, loving, um, you know, particularly the Patriots because they're only a half hour away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think I came here with the expectation that I can continue to get better, um, but I can also, you know, start covering some of the the bigger teams and the bigger sure. places. And, um, you know, and that was, that was great. And it's been great. And it's yeah. been a dream come true. And, you know, all the things we've gotten to cover, but, you know, it, it also presented things that I didn't expect. Sure. Like I honestly, Nolan, I honestly was not a huge college basketball fan growing up. I wasn't. I, yeah. I would, you know, I'd watch the Celtics were the team that I would watch when it came to basketball. I watched the NBA, but college basketball, I don't know. I just didn't have a, I, you know, when BC was good with Al Skinner for a little while, like I would watch that, but I just wasn't a fanatic. Sure. I came here started covering Providence College, started covering URI and Danny Hurley, started covering Brown and Bryant, like all of these schools here. And I realized how important it was to this community. And holy cow, I became a fanatic. The first month I was here, I I was on the floor at Madison Square Garden and the Friars are celebrating one of the Big East Championship, going to the NCAA tournament. I'm like, this is really cool. Like I I really genuinely enjoyed that. And then a few years later, URI goes on its run with Dan Hurley. And like, that's been so much fun. I just didn't expect it. And I've become, you know, I've become a fanatic now when it comes to college hoops, because I just know how much people around here care about it, uh, whatever school they're rooting for. And that was really, that was unexpected. Um, But it's been really, really enjoyable. I mentioned the fact that 
you worked with another season, long-term seasoned veteran of, of the profession, being Ken Bell for a few years before he retired. Although you certainly learned a whole heck of a lot from from Tim, what did you learn from Ken that was differently when you first were starting out, even though you had more experience at the time than when you first started working with Tim? So I, I think Tim really pushed me when it came to the aspects of you know, how the sports cast comes together and all of those little things that you needed to do as sort of a one-man show. Um, I think that's where I, I experienced the most growth with Tim and, and, and up in Maine. When I came here, I think Ken really helped me understand what makes good television, sure. what makes something engaging, why somebody would watch um, I, I think he was just so smart when it came to that um, because he had all that experience, just like sure. Tim. Um, and not only that, but I think Ken really helped me in terms of because it, this again, this job can be all encompassing and it can it can consume you and, and yeah. your life and it be, eats up your schedule and um, you have to find and make time for your personal life. And Ken really made sure to tell me, like, remind me, hey, you know, you have a life outside yeah. of you know being in sports and being on television, too. So make sure that you're taking care of that and make sure that, you know, you're happy there, too. Um, and so I think that those are the aspects that that Ken really uh, affected me and, and right away. And I think Ken and I we worked so well together because he knew right away just how much I cared. Sure. Um, because he. <laughs> nobody ever cared more about the product than Ken Bell. I mean, he just, and he was so smart again, just how he presented it. So, you know, when he knew that, Hey, I genuinely want to do, you know, as good of a job as you, sure. um, you know, that, that really came off well and then made us a good team for, you know, the end of his career, which was great. Eventually he retires and you take, as it says on your bio on ABC Six's website, you take the big chair and take over as sports director was had that always been a goal for you when you started there even if you didn't think of it subconsciously often and what were your plans with this new position as sports director uh honestly uh it it really wasn't something that i said it was a goal to be a sports director um so i yeah i in in short no uh it wasn't a goal but it sort of presented itself and it was a great opportunity and Having Ken's blessing on it meant the world to me um, because we had worked so well together and, you know, I felt like we had done a good job together. And he said, you know, basically I felt like I was, you know, wanting, he was passing the torch to me and I sure. wanted to do just as good of a job. And um, so, you know, when it, when the opportunity presented itself, I said, you know, this is a great opportunity. Sure. And so I'm going to continue in it. And it presented a new set of challenges too. You always want to be challenged. Um, and, and definitely when you become the face and you become the guy that follows Ken Bell, you're like, okay, you know, you have to set your own standard and whatnot. And, um, so I, I, have tried to do that, you know, since 2017, uh, when I took over, um, and the goal was to, to find somebody, uh, that, you know, would again, work just as hard as Ken and I did that would care about the product just as much. Um, and, there's the Emerson connection. You know, I had met Ian. Um, we just, we were like ships in the night at school. Um, I just missed him, but we had met through, he was doing internships and trying to make his way through the business. 
And, you know, so we had kept in touch and I'd seen all the work that he was doing in Corpus Christi and how great he was at social media. And I said, man, this, this guy, I think he's, he's the guy. And, you know, look, I don't make the hires at the station. (laughs) um, But I, I gave a strong push to say like, Hey, this guy, I think is the guy. And I even told him, and he still doesn't believe me, but he was the first call I made when I said like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the table here. And I really would love for you to come back and, you know, and be here. And um, eventually it, it happened. And I was so glad because it, it really gave me, it felt like a, you know, a a tag team partner that, you know, was going to work just as hard as Ken, um, but also was, was skilled in different areas. And like I said, the social media aspect, I mean, I, I call I call the guy the sushi chef because he will take content and he will cut up video like he's a sushi chef and he'll just put it out there on social media. He's a wizard. And, you know, he's he's refined those skills. He's improved at it. He's gotten better, um, you know. But again, it was about finding somebody that cared as much as I did, that was going to work hard like I did. And, um, you know, together, you know, we've come up with ideas and plans and right. things we've done on the air and coverage and whatnot. and um, it's, it's been tremendous. And, um, you know, I feel like we've established a good rapport when it comes to our local sports coverage in the area. And, you know, that was, I think that the general goal of ours when we, you know, became a tag team and, um, six years later, it's just been, been great. Sure. Well, like the Hulkamaniacs back in the eighties, Hulk Hogan needs his Macho Man Savage and vice versa. So mega powers, baby. It's it's, it's been a (laughs) perfect, you know, you've had success like Ken, Covering championships is great. Playoff runs is another thing. High school sports, that's all great. On another level, is being rewarded for the success you've had and the hard work you put into. And you've won year after year. There's several awards for the ability you do, and rightfully so. What does that mean for you in terms of recognition, not only your own recognition of your work, but people recognizing across your field the type of job you do? Well, again, I think it it recognizes that, um, you know, people think that our team, you know, Ian and I do, a, a, you know, a, a, a decent job, at least, you know, covering local sports. Um, and that's really flattering. What What's really flattering and, and what's the ultimate, you know, humbling thing is just is earning the respect of your colleagues sure. in the business. Um, because, you know, when, when you win something like that, or you're, you know, give, given the pat on the back like that, um, you know, it means that people respect what you do. Sure. And that's, uh, that's tremendous because I, I've, I, I think fondly of so many uh, of the people in our market and in our business. Um, and so to be recognized like that by them, um, it's flattering, it's humbling. Um, and it, and it keeps you going. It makes you say like, Hey, you know, I guess, you know, I, I love this job. I love what I get to do. And I guess I'm, you know, I do a decent job. At least somebody thinks so. So I'll, I'll keep going as long as I can. Well, I think it's, it's like that song by the late great Tony Bennett says, I guess I'll, I'll stay around or stick around a, a, a <laughs> little bit. Yeah, I'm sure also one aspect winning war, not necessarily, not even winning it year for year like you have, but even winning once it gives you the opportunity to improve, but also say, how am I going to do better the next time to maybe have a chance to be in the running again, but then to win it four or five times in a row like you have, it's always like, how the hell do I do better than this? But then again, that's, I'm sure the challenge that you find, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk at least one aspect of the New England, Boston uh, market sports with the time we have left between the Red Sox being a game, uh, half a game beyond the Yankees, the bottom of the AL East, uh, the Patriots starting up again soon, another year of Mac Jones, the Celtics playing, they're paying a whole heck of a lot 
of money for Jalen Brown uh, amongst a, a huge or no no yeah Jalen Brown amongst a huge a variety of other sports going on for you and covering Patriots cutting Ed Lee recently or releasing him at this current moment in sports, especially after the pandemic, what's it been like covering all this stuff, especially right now at this time of the year? Uh, it's interesting. It's a different time. Um, you know, cause I think there are some teams in, in transition. Um, some teams that, you know, you've just mentioned, uh, I think the Patriots are still in a transition, even yeah. with Mac Jones in his third year. Um, I think the Red Sox are <laughs> in a transition. I think it's probably maybe been a little too long for the yeah. transition, but it's they're still in transition. And I think the Bruins are going to be in transition here too. So we're we're sort of in a different time where when I first took this job and I was here, I think we were still in the middle of a you know championship atmosphere, championship aspirations, championship runs. And it's a different time now, you know, the, I think the Celtics are probably the only team that you look at and say like, Hey, they could be title favorites, contenders, whatnot. Um, but the other teams and organizations around here, it's, it's different, but you know, the, the great thing, you know, we talk about the pro teams, but there's always, there's always something. And whether it's the, whether it's the pro teams or whether it's the local teams, like, you know, I, 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 I think about, you know, where's URI going here? You yeah. know, Archie Miller's going to be in his second year and that's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm really excited after seeing Thor Bjorn's tweet today with yeah. the, you know, the sort of the inside look at the practice facility. Like that's pretty exciting for a program like that, you know, and, and for the women's program and Tammy and keeping that train rolling, yeah. like that's going to be great. Um, you know, and so that that's always an ongoing stories and things like that, that you're, you're following. And, you know, what are the Friars going to be like now that, you know, Ed Cooley is not the coach here for the yeah. first time since I've been here, it's going to be a new coach, a new regime. Kim English is going to be leading the program. Where's it go from here? Um, those are always fascinating to me. You just, you, when you do it now, and I'm coming up, like you said, on 10 years here, you, you follow a lot of different teams, coaches, athletes, whatnot, and it's all part of the story. And, you know, you think back to some of the great teams and things that you covered and events and whatnot, but, you know, where it goes is always a great story too. You know, the ups and downs always makes for, you know, something very interesting to cover. And I, I always think that if it's interesting to me, it's probably interesting to the people that are watching, listening, you know, you name it. Um, so there's always something, and especially in this market, when you combine the big pro teams in Boston with the college teams, the high school teams, some of those local athletes that you're covering. Um, it makes it for never a, a dull moment. So I talked about the personal thing, like, you know, trying to squeeze in a vacation is maybe yeah. the most difficult part of the job. So sure. um, you try to do that as much as possible. Um, but you don't want to miss anything because there's sure. always something going yeah. on, which is great. And being this year in January of 2023, Devers of, of this, uh, I was going to say Celtics, the Red Sox signed a 10-year, $350 million contract, an absurd amount of money that's being replicated in the NBA. How much of a stranglehold, but also importance does that have on this team moving forward in terms of <laughs> building around him, but also finding success with what they're able to work with financially speaking? Yeah, it's, um, we'll see. Um you know, and that's, <laughs> that's always, it's always interesting to, to sort of compare team by team. Cause you look at like, say the Red Sox signed Devers and you're like, well, there's no salary cap in baseball. So they should be able to sign everybody. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's different from following that compared to like 
Jalen Brown signs that deal, you know, last month and you're like, okay, well, what does that do for their championship window? You know, yeah. it's so funny to think about like $300 million in this sport is different from $300 million in this sport from this yeah. team. So that's always interesting for the coverage. Cause when we when endeavor signs his deal with the Red Sox, you're like, all right, well, this is the first of a lot of, you know, pieces that they could, you know, and guys that they could sign to big money deals. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but with Jalen Brown, you're like, okay, does this shorten their window as title contenders? Sure. Do they start to become a team in transition in a couple of years? Like who knows? So um, that's again, part of the interest and interesting thing about covering sports around here is that, um, you know, these different sports are unique in their own way. Sure. And, um, but people care just as much about every sport. Well, that's like with the Celtics, they mentioned the Celtics and mentioning Brown, they, they signed the unicorn, the Celtics, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, they get rid of Grant Williams and unfortunately Marcus Smart, but then they signed for $60 million for four, each of the four years, $60.8 million. And no one in their right mind, no offense to any athlete, certainly better than myself at basketball, but to sign somebody for $60 million a year is an absurd amount. And you just mentioned their window not everybody wants to play for the minimum. Not every, everyone wants to chase the, the quote-unquote bag, as kids say nowadays, with getting paid lots of money, whether they deserve it or not. You saw Anthony Davis, the, a huge extension they signed. I believe um, Josh Hart just signed another one with New York. How did Mentioning both teams, basketball, it's a little bit harder thing. Crossing over the threshold financially, the, the tax or whatever the, the correct term is, the Celtics, though, year after year, the last few years, they've been trying to make it to the finals and win an NBA championship. They come up just short last minute every single time. With a deal like this, whether Brown deserves it or not, what does this do for the Celtics compared to the situation with the Red Sox? Yeah, it's it's uh, it definitely creates a sense of urgency, I think, yeah. because now you're signing these guys who are your young draft picks, your young stars, two big money deals. And so the expectations start to rise. And, you know, the deals themselves, you know, the deal that Jalen Brown signed, you know, I, I would, if I'm Brad Stevens, I'm doing that too, obviously, because he is a talented all NBA yeah. player. And look, that's the price of doing business in the NBA. Sure. It's what it is. You just mentioned Josh Hart, like, Believe me, I look at that deal in numbers and I'm like, is Josh Hart really yeah. like a million dollar player? Like, I like Josh Hart. Watched him play at Villanova. Good player. Is he worth that much? But you're like, you know what? I think the first time I realized it was when Tim Hardaway Jr. signed like a $72 million deal with the Knicks. And I'm like, Tim Hardaway Jr.? Yeah. Really? Like maybe Penny Hardaway in the 90s, yeah. but Tim Hardaway Jr. for yeah. $70 million? I'm like, okay, well... That's just sort of the market and the price that, that it is to build a decent basketball team. So, you know, with Brown, I, I don't look at the number. I just look at, okay, you know, what does the number do? And, you know, what kind of urgency does it create for the Celtics? And I think it does create a sense of urgency because you're going to sign Jason Tatum to a deal like this yeah. too. And it's going to take up most of your cap. And it, I don't think it's going to be sustainable to keep the tandem together for that much money sure. for a number of years. So it may be a two to three year window here that you have to try to go and win a championship with both those guys. And then you choose which direction you want to go, maybe make a deal, something like that. So it's, it's completely different because with Devers, you're like, okay, here's our piece. He's going to be in, in our lineup for 10 years. 
whether he's playing third base, maybe later in the deal, he's a DH. Like there's a lot of different things. It just sort of gives you a much longer term, even though it's a long-term deal for Jalen Brown. I think it creates a short-term sense of urgency, which is really interesting. I mentioned also the Patriots briefly. It's another year of of Mac Jones and it's been a rough four year stretch since, you know, he was drafted. He wasn't, he hasn't been here for four years, three years, but one year before him, they, they missed the playoffs with Bill O'Brien getting brought in um, as the OC for this team. What do you hope happens with another year of Mac Jones in the lineup with some of the pieces they've either picked up or gotten rid of? Is this a real test of, okay, if it doesn't do well this year, we move on from and start again new, or is this still another moment of taking the training wheels off eventually at some point? Yeah. I I mean, this is a fascinating year for the Patriots. It's fascinating because it's, it, I'm interested to see what direction they go as a team, um, because I think already in camp, we're seeing the signs of this is a much more efficient operation. Uh, I think Mac is going to have a bounce back here just based on what we've been seeing in camp. Uh, he just seems more comfortable, more free with a guy like O'Brien running the offense. Um, you know, and I do think he's got, you know, decent talent around him that, you know, I think the key is just going to be the offensive line. And if that can hold up, then I think it's going to, you know, create some success for that offense. Um, but, you know, you you couple that with the fact that the Patriots have a really tough schedule, really tough. And it makes for an intriguing year because they could be, I think they are going to be better offensively. And their record might not show it because of their strength of schedule sure. and just how tough it is. You're starting with the NFC champions, with the Eagles coming in here week one. That is tough. And then Aaron Rodgers on all over hard knocks last night, he's you're playing him twice a year now. He's with the Jets. The Jets are no pushover. You know, whether that experiment works or not, we'll see, but they're no pushover. You know, you're not going to beat them on a, you know, game winning punt return like you did last year. You're going to have to do a lot more to beat Aaron Rodgers. So it is fascinating to me how this all plays out and the dynamics and, and really, I think Mac, it, it, the pressure is on to have a good season because, you know, you've sort of got that five-year window with first-round picks and particularly with quarterbacks. It's only a certain amount of time that you say like, okay, we've looked at it for three years. You know, at some point we're going to have to sign a new contract or not. Yeah. So we're going to have to make a decision on this guy. And um, it's just, that's the fascinating thing about being a quarterback in the NFL is, you know, it's, you, you look at your first few seasons and you're like, okay, you know, is a team going to commit commit or not? Are they going to move in a different direction or not? They don't have forever. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. But I, I expect a bounce back here. I do. I, I think I think the Pats are going to be – I think they're going to be better than people think. Uh-huh. How much better? I'm not sure. Um, but even with that mess of an offensive setup last year, they were 8-9 and nine and sniffing the playoffs. Yeah. I think they're going to have at least a competent, you know, run offense this year. And I think that's obviously going to make a difference for a lot of guys. Well, and similar to Greg Popovich, Bill Belichick will melt away and go away in dust into the air before he retires from this program, which of course I'll never say when that is. I mentioned Ed Lee briefly when we started talking about sports and he was signed, he was undrafted and he got signed to the Patriots and he was there for about two months, a little over two months before he got released about a week ago or so. Coming from you or I, where now recently, although they haven't had a lot of playoff success, they've had a long line over the last handful of years of players from that program going either drafted late in the rounds or undrafted to these teams. Whether they stay on the team or not is another thing, but they've had this recent success. 
having a player like Edley on the team and then losing him, what does that do for a program like you or I, but also still trying to get guys from this small of a school to stay in the league like guys from bigger programs? Yeah, I, I think this is all positive. The fact that URI has guys that are going to the NFL, getting opportunities, trying to make it onto these teams and these 53-man rosters, and even you know making it on a practice squad in the NFL is even that difficult. There's only so many spots. And you think about all the schools and the programs and all these players that come through, through the draft every year, like it is hard. It's difficult. So the fact that Ed caught on, they had him in camp, they had him at OTAs and mini camp in the spring, you know, it's a great tribute to Ed and the career that he had and the skill set that he has. And, you know, hopefully he gets another opportunity at some point in the NFL. If he doesn't, hey, he was there. He had an opportunity. Bill Belichick wanted to take a look at him. Yeah. That's a great thing. But even before that, you know, guys like Aaron Parker and Isaiah Coulter and guys like that are, and Kyle Murphy, like when you have more and more players getting looks from the NFL, that's only a good thing. That's only a positive. And it tells you just how much the program has risen at URI and has become, you know, a contender and a program where good talent is going having success and then having the opportunity to try to get to the next level. That's a great thing. And I, I just, I can't say enough good things about what Jim Fleming has done there. I, you know, he, when I was first covering that program, Jim was building it up. It is, I mean, it is vastly different. Sure, yes. How things are run, um, you know, what it looks like, the field, the facilities, like they have really improved everything and kudos to Thor Bjorn too, because yeah. he had the patience to say like, I want, I want Jim to have the time to build up the program because we're so in sports. We're so about immediate results and things exactly. can happen so fast. I think Thor recognized that it's going to take time. And he believed in, in coach Fleming and, and coach Fleming's done a tremendous job to make this into every year, a good respectable sure. program in a very tough league in the CAA. And at some point, it's going to translate yeah. into them into the FCS playoffs, maybe even as soon as this fall. Yeah. We will see. Well, and for me, growing up in South County, it, the program was always a joke, would always never win a game, maybe one or two, if that, maybe three. And then now since my freshman year, I, they have been continuously ranked every year. Now, how long it is, is another story, and that's a difficult challenge in of itself. But you hope that eventually the success turns into long-term success finally and that they can actually make it to the playoffs and win and maybe somehow a Cinderella story of make it all the way to the big, the big one and, and win and not North Dakota State or, or, or a school of that nature. Now, I want to end here. And before my little game I play at the end, I want to thank you again. I want to end on my, my, uh, my best of ability to simula or simulate how Charlie Rose used to run his show and, you know, mentioning the people you worked with, the inspirations and the role models you had that you were able to shadow everyone wants every, everyone is looking for their own approval and how they judge upon their own character and their professional aspect and at the end of the day we all want to do a good job so for you down the line the lights turn off you lock the studio door you hand in your your, your uh, id card you sign off for the final time the legacy of nick coit is what when he when the time is called Ooh, wow <laughs> that is not something I have thought about. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I just, Nolan, I, I will say, I just hope that people remember me for 
um, you know, somebody that, you know, worked hard, that had a great passion and that passion came through and across the screen. Sure. And I, I will just hope that people will have enjoyed my presentation and, you know, me discussing and talking about and debating and presenting and telling these stories and whatnot. And I hope they have enjoyed that as much as, as I have, sure. um, you know, and I hope that the people that I've met have enjoyed, you know, the ride just as much as I have too. Sure. Like I, I, that's one of the best things about this job is meeting different people and the people that you get to meet sometimes are just, it floors you, sure. you know, how, special some of these stories are that you get to tell and I just I hope that I you know got to make memories for for people like you know hey you did my high school football highlights when I was at you know South Kingstown High School you know even if you are your name is Montana for selling just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um I had to I had to rip him yeah. of course um it just popped into my head go figure um you know but like people like that you know you just you meet great people along the way and um i just hope that people will have enjoyed you know meeting you know me and and getting to you know see how their story turned out and whatever and, and the memories that they you know they make from it i i hope they enjoy it as much as i do well good thing that time has not come anytime soon because you have plenty more stories to share. <laughs> so. Be before we end here today i want to end on a little game called the one word challenge so when tales of this is out about a few Names of people, places, or things that have some connection to you, Nick. And to do your best to say either a word or two or a sentence that best comes to mind when you hear it. So when you're ready, I'll go. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, Plymouth, Mass. Home. Uh, Rhode Island. New home. <laughs> Sports broadcasting. A passion. Uh, media. Um. Ooh. Uh, Ever-changing. Hard work. A basis of what? Wow, I, I was, a a base for everything. <laughs> Success. Um, flattering. Ken Bell. The man. And last, but certainly never least, in this cosmic universe we all call Earth that we currently live in, Nick Coy. <laughs> uh fortunate, lucky, humbled, blessed, and happy. Well, uh, Nolan Carr is certainly all those things in terms of doing this with you. So, Nick, I want to say thank you for taking the time to do this and take time out of your day to talk to somebody like myself. It, it shows not only the type of person you are, but the quality of character you have. So thanks again. Nolan, a pleasure. Thank you. Great questions. This was a really fun interview. I, I very much appreciate you having me. Well, that means a lot. And that always helps continue to do this way after you expected to finish this. Um, where can people find you online? And um, any big things that you hope to work on in the near future? Yeah, uh, well, we got, you know, high school football coming. We got Patriot season coming. We got college basketball. We're about to get busy again after the summer. So just follow us on Channel 6. Uh, follow me uh, at ABC 6 on X, or what used to be formally yeah. known as Twitter. Um, and we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, yeah. you name it, all the social media channels, but you, you know, where to find us there. Um, follow us because it's going to be a, a really interesting, uh, sports season, if you will. Well, exactly. And all those out there enjoy it. Cause who the hell wouldn't and down the line with my guest, Nick Coy, is inducted into the broadcasters all of them. You're going to say, holy shit, so subscribe. 
So subscribe, oh. comment, share, all that fun jazz. Follow on Instagram, Twitter. I'd say the names, but I always get it messed up. In the words of Johnny Carson, the dean of talk shows, certainly like this one. I bid you all a heartfelt good night. Till next time.